Morning. Um, the reading is from 1 Corinthians 15:12 to 28. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, and we did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Even Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him. They put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the word of God. Thank you for the Bible reading, um, Ellen. It would be of great help to me if you would keep your Bibles open there um, as we hear God speak to us uh, this morning. Uh, If you are joining us for the first time, uh, you have caught us in week two of our series titled uh, Passion for the Christ. Um, And we really just want to speak about why we love Jesus, why I love Jesus, um, and why I believe you should love Jesus uh, if you don't this morning. um, And if you do, why you should grow in your love for him. Um, And so I I pray and hope that by the end of this uh, sermon that you would love Jesus if you don't, um, and if, if you do love him, that you would grow in your love for him. Um, but let's start here. I'm going to read a couple of headlines for us, um, just to set the scene of where it is that we're going, to give us a picture uh, of what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. The first headline reads as follows, Resurrection Saga, Cops Hunt Moyo, Dead or Alive. The second one says, the church has been ridiculed, criticized, and threatened with legal action. And the third one says, the CRL Rights Commission and other religious organizations have weighed in, saying that Christianity is in a state of crisis. These were just a few headlines that that filled our our newspapers, uh, our social media feeds. They colored a lot of our broadcasts, uh, whether it was radio, television, at least for the uh, greater part of Uh, the first two quarters of 2019. Um, The question that we asked this morning, were these headlines right? Were these headlines speaking of a truth? Um, Was Christianity in a state of crisis? Was the church one big laughing stock of the country? Uh, Well, for us to uh, answer that question, we have to go back to 2019, and particularly the 24th of February, uh, what seemed like a normal service down the road in Santon at Alleluia Ministries International. Uh, That service was suddenly interrupted by an urgent call uh, that there was a hearse on its way to Zimbabwe that impulsively stopped at the church so that the man of God uh, would pray for the body. So the man of God graciously granted that gift 
uh, or request rather, and went outside and prayed for the dead body. And lo and behold, Elliot came back to life. Um, and a few days later, we found out that Elliot's real name was actually Brighton Moyo. Brighton Moyo worked for Vincent Samarati PTY, a timber company in Pretoria. Um, and it turns out that Elliot was actually recruiting some of his co-workers from time to time so that they can be part of these miraculous performances to make extra money on the side. Uh, in fact, uh, Elliot was once paralyzed, uh, was prayed for by the man of God, and could suddenly walk. Um, so this resurrection hoax was his big payday. This was a big day for him to cash out. Um, And so I want to pause here and say this. Again, I know some of you in this room, but I don't know who you're connected to. You might know who Elliot is, uh, or you might know somebody that's related to him. And I I want to say this. I'm not bringing the story up to cause any offense, uh, but I want to bring the story up to make this one point this morning, uh, that what these guys played with is the linchpin of Christianity. What they played with that day, what they put into disrepute, what they essentially cast doubt over, what they rubbished, what they spat on, is the very reality of the doctrine of the resurrection, the thing that holds our faith together. As we sit here this morning and we came to church, this thing called the resurrection holds our faith together. If we pull the resurrection out of the equation, then this whole thing called Christianity crumbles. It all self-implodes. It all goes to dust. If the resurrection is not true, and particularly the resurrection of Jesus, if Jesus' bones are wasting away somewhere in Palestine, then all this thing called Christianity, this church thing, is one big joke. In fact, listen to what Adrian Warnick says. He says, belief in Jesus' physical resurrection is the defining doctrine of Christianity. It is surely remarkable that every Christian denomination all believe this one truth, that the tomb was empty. He further on uh, says that he offers a definition of what a Christian is, and he says a Christian is somebody who believes in the physical resurrection of Jesus and lives in light of the implications of that one event. End of quote. And that is something that is crucial for us to understand this morning. If you're sitting here today, and you've been invited by somebody to come to church, here's one thing I want you to know that's crucial. That somebody who calls themselves a Christian, my prayer is that you would leave here this morning if you don't believe in Jesus, calling yourself a Christian. What is a Christian? It's somebody who believes in the physical, historical, objective resurrection of Jesus. And not only that, but that one event colors, it shapes, it informs and speaks into every area of your life. We're asking in this series, why do we love Jesus? Why do I love Jesus? Why am I passionate about Jesus? Well, three words. He is alive. Amen. He is alive, and that's why I believe in Jesus. That's why I love him. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 till 28. Jesus is not dead. His bones are not wasting somewhere away in Palestine. Jesus rose from the grave, proving that he defeated sin uh, on your behalf, death and sin on your behalf. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Jesus not only rose from the grave, but he ascended into heaven. 
and is seated at the right hand of God right now as we speak. He's active through his spirit, through his word, through his church. Jesus is alive. And that's why you should believe in him. That's why you should love him. And that's why I love him. As we sit here, somebody might have invited you to church. And they tell you that they love Jesus because he's gracious. They love Jesus because he's loving. They love Jesus because they can relate to Jesus. Well, guess what? A dead Jesus is not loving. A dead Jesus cannot be gracious. A dead Jesus cannot be merciful. A dead Jesus cannot relate to you. But a Jesus who is alive relates to you. Jesus who's alive loves you. A Jesus who's alive cares for you. A Jesus who's alive is calling you actively today to say give your life to him. His life will speak life into your life. Give your life to him for these simple three words. He is alive. That's why we love Jesus. That's why I love Jesus. And I'm going to pray that as we get into his word this morning. That would help us by his Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're battling in your heart. I don't know why you're resisting not giving your life to him this morning. But I'm going to pray that by his Holy Spirit, he could really open up the gates of your heart this morning. So that you can see him alive from the pages of the Bible. And give your life to him this morning. Amen. Amen. And when I say amen, I'm a black preacher. So you need to preach with me. Right? We want to preach together. Right? I was speaking at a camp not long ago, and then as I was preaching, the worship leader came on stage and then started playing. I freaked out, right? Cut my sermon in half, left, and then he came to me afterwards and asked, why did you cut your sermon? I'm like, because you started playing music. He's like, no, brother, I was preaching with you, right? (laughs) So we want to preach together this morning, amen? Amen, amen. Let me pray, and then we'll get stuck into, into God's word, right? Jesus, help us this morning uh, to feast on your truth, the truth that you are alive. Uh, Help us to fix our affections and our loves on you, Lord. Um, I pray, Jesus, that you would resurrect dead hearts. Uh, Again, I don't have spiritual x-ray glasses to see people's hearts, uh, but there are hearts in this room who don't have faith in you. And I pray that you would raise those hearts from their graves. As we've heard Baby Sunday speaking about how she was in her spiritual grave. Raise those hearts this morning, Jesus. Revive the cold hearts of those who've trusted you, but have gone weary. Because of your life, death and resurrection, you loved us. Now cause us to love you. We pray for all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So here's where we're going this morning. Paul in the section speaks of a resurrection myth. A myth that the Corinthian church believed in. Uh, And Paul says uh, to these uh, Corinthians, and he says to us this morning, the only way to correct that myth is to correct it with a resurrection truth. Um, And so we're going to be seeing uh, the resurrection myth and at least three implications that come with believing this resurrection myth. Uh, And then what we're going to do is see how Paul corrects uh, these uh, implications from this resurrection myth. Um, So let's start here in verses 12. What is going on in this passage? Read with me verses 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So what is going on here? Well, the Corinthian church believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They believed that Jesus rose from the grave, historically, bodily, objectively. 
But they were struggling to believe that one day God would raise their bodies from the grave. And so that belief led them to thinking that what they do in their spirit is good. So they said that the spirit is good and anything spiritual that we would do would be good. But anything we do in our body doesn't matter if our bodies will not be raised one day from the grave. So we can live however we want to live. We can be as sinful as we want to. We can follow the desires of our flesh. We can follow the passions of this world as much as we want. Because at the end of the day, our bodies are just going to be in the grave and they don't matter at all. And so Paul then pens this response to them and gives them an emphatic no. And he says that is not true at all. That's a false dichotomy. That's a false separation of the spirit and the body. In fact, God cares about both of them. And so if you would believe that the resurrection of the body is not true, that has devastating implications, catastrophic implications on their faith, on their lives, and even their understanding of God. And the same is true for us this morning. If you're sitting here this morning and you believe Jesus did not rise from the grave, if that's true, then go on and live however you want to live. Whoever invited you to church, you must turn around to them now and say, thanks for the invitation, but I'm just going to continue living however I want to live. But if Jesus is alive and is risen from the grave, Paul says there's no middle ground and we have to make a decision today. So let's jump into the first Um, devastating implication of the resurrection myth. If Jesus hasn't risen from the grave, if the resurrection of the body is not true, listen to what Paul says in verses 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul's saying if there's no resurrection of the dead, then then Jesus himself, who is God in human form, Jesus himself who came in a human body, Jesus who is God, who tented, who tabernacled, in a human body, Jesus who's 100% God, Jesus who's 100% man, the resurrection is not true, then he did not rise from his grave, and his bones are wasting away somewhere in Palestine. I've given my life to Jesus. I want to shepherd my family um, with the truth of who Jesus is. If his bones are wasting away somewhere in Palestine, that's devastating. I'm wasting my life. I've wasted my life. In fact, I remember what my father said to me once, uh, who's not a Christian. My father said to me, the most disrespectful thing I've ever done in my life is to place Jesus above him. Why? Because in our spiritual heritage, we believe that when my father dies, he's going to be transfigured and become my chief ancestor. And so it is disrespectful for me to put a Jewish ancestor above my father, who's my own flesh and blood. If Jesus' bones are wasting somewhere in Palestine, then my father has a point. As an African man, I have no business worshipping a dead Jewish man. There's some of you sitting here this morning, you've been called sellouts. You are holding back because you don't want to give your life to Jesus because at home they'll say, how could you believe in a foreign God? How do you believe in a different ancestor? How do you believe in a Jewish man who died 2,000 years ago? And you're holding on. You don't want to give your life to Jesus. Because you don't want to be seen as a sellout. If Jesus' bones are wasting somewhere in Palestine, your family is right, my dad is right. But Paul says, that's not true. Verses 20, read with me. He says, but in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah, somebody. He is alive. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so what Paul is saying here is that in the Mosaic law, in the Old Testament law, it, there was a very strong emphasis that at harvest time they would gather the first crops and present those to God. And the first crops would then be a sign of all the other crops to come. And so Paul says to you, to us this morning, because Jesus is alive, if you would place your trust and faith in him today, if he defeated the grave, he will empower you through his life that the grave will not hold you down. So trust in him, believe in him, there's future glory because he is alive. There's future inheritance because he is alive. There's an eternal hope that you can hold on to now that's tangible today. Will your body be raised in the future if you place your trust and faith in him? Yes, it will. But just like baby Sandy's life, your heart that is still trapped in a grave of sin will be risen. Not tomorrow, today, if you give your life to him. Give your life to Jesus. Why? Because he's alive. And if he's alive, you'll be alive in him. If he's alive, you are going to be alive in him even after death. Give your life to Jesus. Amen. I don't stand here worshipping a dead Jewish man. I worship the God of the universe. A God who is living. I worship a king who is reigning, who is speaking, who is active. Jesus is alive. So I say to you this morning, stop worshipping the dead. Turn away from the graveyard. Turn away from your terror cards. There's no life there. Come to Jesus. That's where life is. And this Jesus is calling you this morning. But again, you might be sitting there saying to yourself, I I, I hear you, but there's still something in my heart, man. I can't get around the fact that this guy might not be true, might not exist. Listen to what Paul says then in verses 15 and 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. See, the Christian church, and you might be new to this thing, this whole thing called church, This message called the the, the gospel, the good news, us preaching about a Jesus who's risen, who's alive, all of this stuff is predicated upon this one truth, the resurrection. In fact, the early church, and even now we still continue that tradition, we meet on a Sunday to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, in the Bible and history, we, we learn that his own brother, James, did not believe in him. He grew up with this guy. He didn't believe in his message, he didn't believe in his words, he didn't believe in anything he did. In fact, he thought his brother was a loony. Um, And James knew that his brother died. Why? Because their mother Mary was at the crucifixion. Surely she would have told him, and the news had spread. He knows his brother died. He hung on a cross. But history and the Bible tell us that James, when he saw Jesus alive, he stopped thinking that his brother was a loony. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. So much so that he even became one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And so what Paul is saying here in verses 14 and 15, that if Jesus has not risen from the grave, 
then the preaching of the Christian church for the past 2,000 years has been for nothing. It's been useless. In fact, the 11 years I've given myself to full-time ministry has been for nothing. It's been useless. We stand up here, right? The rector stands up here every Sunday and he lies about a God who's risen Jesus from the grave if Jesus has not risen. That's the heart of what we preach about. That's what we have given our lives to. And so what Paul is saying to you this morning, again, if you've been invited and you don't even uh, know who this Jesus is, you have a better chance just walking out of here and going down to the Shisanyama down the road. You have a better chance of spending your Sunday there, right? I know some of you are itching and you want to be on the golf course. You're better off going there, not spending your time here if Jesus has not been risen from the grave. Join a stock fair, right? Do something, but don't come to church if Jesus has not, ris- has not been risen from the grave. You have been living your best life. And Paul says, continue living that best life. But in verses 21, Paul says, before we change our minds and go down to the Shisanyama or go to the golf course, hold up, listen to what he says in verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to him. So this might be news to you this morning, but you were born dead. We've inherited death from Adam. Verses 21 tells us that. All of us are going to face the grave. There's one thing that's true of every single person in this room, that death is waiting for us. No amount of golf is going to get rid of that death. No amount of shisanyama is going to get rid of that death. No amount of hustling in Jobuk is going to get rid of that death. We are all born as children of Adam. There's many things we inherit from our parents. Skin color, our personality, the texture of our hair, etc. But the thing that we inherit from our parents that they've inherited from their parents and their parents' parents, right up until our great-grandparents, Adam, is death. So as you sit here with death awaiting you, how are you going to escape from that death? How will you escape that death? Well, Paul says we need a better representative than Adam. If Adam was the representative of the human race and because he sinned against God and we inherited his death... His death became our death. We need a better and more faithful representative. A representative who will live the life that Adam failed to live. A representative who will fulfill God's laws. The laws of God that we break every single day. With our thoughts, with our actions, with how we live our lives. We need a better representative who will not only live the life that we failed to live. But a representative who will hang on a cross. To pay for the sin that Adam gave us. The sin that we willingly choose every single day by how we live lives that are rebellious to God. We need a representative, again, who will not only die for us, but a representative who will rise from the grave, proving that he's defeated sin and death on our behalf. Paul puts it so eloquently here and he says, for all, for as an all, uh, rather for as an Adam all die. 
so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And he says, because Jesus is that better representative. Jesus is alive. Therefore, he guarantees that he'll make you alive. If you give your life to him, then the faith that you have in yourself, Paul says, turn that to him and your faith will not be in vain. But the faith that you have in the world, the faith that you have in yourself, the faith that you have in your work, the faith that you have in how well you can plan your life is all in vain because it's going to end up in death. But your faith in Jesus will not be in vain. Your faith in him will not be in vain. He reassures us that our preaching is not in vain. Why? Because Jesus is a better representative. Jesus is the head of this church. Again, you might have been invited by a Christian and you're sitting here saying, Preacher, I hear you. But you don't know how dodgy this person is that invited me, right? I know their lives. I've seen all their mess-ups. It's okay. Don't trust them. Don't trust me. Trust Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Right? My mother's there. My mother-in-law, my wife is there. They know me. Don't trust me. Trust Jesus. Right? Trust him. Give your life to him. I think of, of Romans 5 verses 6 and 7 where Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing the thing, uh, where he says very rarely will somebody who, who, who uh, die for somebody who's good or somebody would even possibly dare to die for somebody who's righteous. And every time I think about that verse or read that verse, I think of mothers. Mothers would die for, for their children, right? My mother's here. She would take a bullet for me now. This woman would take a bullet and kill all of you for me, right? She would. She's such a thug. She would. Right? But here's one thing I know for sure. If my mother takes a bullet for me, I would love her and I would thank her for that. But not even her death would get rid of my death. Not even her death would cover my sins. It's only Jesus who's alive. That would cover my sins. It's only a Jesus who defeated sin and death on my behalf. That would cover my death and make sure that I would live in him. So give your life to him. We die in Adam. We die inheriting this all the way from him through our parents. And we want to give it to our children as well. But in Christ, you will be made alive. Amen. Amen. Jesus hasn't been risen. Listen to the third devastating implication, verses 17, 18, and 19. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So we've seen in the previous resurrection truth again that apart from a better and faithful representative, we are all born spiritually dead. That message has been drummed in over and over in the songs we sang and the interview and even this passage this morning. We are born in our sin, alienated from God. We are born enemies of heaven, children of wrath, bounded for hell. We need somebody to rescue us. We need somebody to rescue you. Jesus is that sacrifice. Jesus hangs on that cross to die to be a sacrifice for you. In fact, in Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2, uh, Paul comes into Corinth and says one of my favorite phrases uh, in the Bible. 
And he says to the Corinthians, brothers, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says those words in a, in a culture where people praised eloquence, where people would think that if you had gifts, then you have status and power. And Paul comes to them and he says, listen, I'm not going to play those games with you. Right? It, it was Paul, eloquent. He is. Right? C- can he speak well? He can. He wrote 23.3% of the New Testament. If anyone can speak, it's this guy. But he says, I'm not playing those games with you because that's not where power is. Power is in the reality that Jesus Christ hung on the cross more than 2,000 years for you. That's where the power is. That's what will set you free. That's what will cleanse your sins. That's what will give you freedom from hell, from the world, from yourself. And so what is the resurrection then if Jesus hung on the cross? Well, the resurrection is confirmation that his sacrifice was accepted by heaven. His resurrection confirms that what he did on the cross for you is true. In fact, this past Wednesday, we, we had a 12-year-old visit us, or 11-year-old, she corrected me. Um, but she visited us at our life group. We a life group of young adults, so she was the only kid there. She raised her hand and, and asked a question. And she said to, to me, uh, on the playground when she's playing with her friends, she would tell her friends about Jesus. And the friends would say, listen, we believe in this Jesus guy. But as, you know, in our little 11-year-old hearts and brains, how do we know that our sins are forgiven? Right? First of all, impressive question from an 11-year-old. Right? She's not listening to Peppa Pig and Barbie. She's thinking about Jesus. Right? So we can thank God for our, our, our kids' ministry. They, they're doing an amazing job. Um, but how do we know that our sins are forgiven? How do you know that your sins are forgiven as you sit here? And you're saying in your heart, listen, I'm hearing all the stuff that you're saying, but how do I leave this place knowing that my sins are forgiven? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because Jesus rose from the grave. His resurrection was an announcement. His resurrection was a megaphone into the universe that heaven has accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. If he rose from the grave, your sins are forgiven if you would give your life to him. That's how we know our sins are forgiven. And so Paul says, if he did not rise from the grave, how else would we know that our sins are forgiven? Well, we don't if he has not risen from the grave. That's precisely the point he's making here, that your faith would be useless. You would be giving your life to nobody. Your faith would be useless if he's still, uh, if his bones are wasting away somewhere in Palestine. And Paul says, then we are still enslaved in our sins. If Jesus did not rise from the grave. And here's the devastating thing. That if he did not rise from the grave. And we continue living however we want to live our lives. We're going to have to pay for our sins later on. You're going to have to hang on a cross as it were. For your own sins. If Jesus did not rise from the grave. Paul then turns his attention to, to the Corinthians, to those who are still alive, to us, right? Because before that, he said, even those who have believed in Jesus, who died believing in Jesus, then they've perished as well. Because they've placed their faith and trust in a, a dead Savior. So they're somewhere in hell paying for their sins. But he turns his attention to us. And he says, even you who are alive, you are to be pitied the most. Why? Because people who don't believe in this Jesus thing are living their best life if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave. Again, you have every right to continue living your best life if he hasn't risen from the grave. 
You might be sitting here this morning and you believe in yourself. You need to be your highest self. Everything revolves around you. You are the son of everyone else in your life. When there's a little issue in your marriage, with your kids, with your finances, you quickly run to Izangoma or Inyang. That might be you sitting here this morning. Or you believe in the hustling culture of Joburg. You want to be as rich as you can. Sacrifice your family, sacrifice relationships, sacrifice anything else just so that you can reach your goal of becoming the wealthiest person ever. And some of us want sexual freedoms. We want to live however we want to live. Sleep with whoever we want to sleep with. Paul says, if Jesus hasn't risen from the grave, please continue doing it. Please continue living your life that way. Again, tell the person who invited you to church, thank you, right, for wasting my Sunday morning. I'm going to continue living however I want to live. There's no future glory if Jesus is dead. There's no future inheritance. There's no eternal hope. Squander your life now. Squander your talents, your your resources now. And do it fast. Do it fast. Because tomorrow we die. And it all ends up in the grave if Jesus has not been risen from the grave. Let's end here this morning with the third resurrection truth. And for the sake of time, we're going to focus on verses 25 till 27. Listen to how Paul responds to that. He says, for he must reign, in verse 25, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So Paul says, because the resurrection is true, because Jesus has been risen from the grave, All of history is moving in one direction. God is honoring Jesus. He's given him the name that's above all other names and is placing everything under him. So history is going there. The world is going there. And so if the resurrection is true, Paul says to you this morning, there's no middle ground. You cannot live your life however you want to live and include a bit of Jesus whenever you feel like it. If the resurrection is true, then there's no indifference. You cannot live your life however you want to live and ignore Jesus. If he's the only person who's ever defeated death, you cannot ignore him. If the resurrection is true, and it is true, Paul says to you this morning, God is saying to you this morning, you are either for Jesus or you are against him. The key things that come out of verses 25 and 27 are these two things. One, Jesus is the Savior. Verses 26 makes that very clear. He even defeated your lost enemy. An enemy that you cannot defeat in and of yourself. He defeated death. So if he can crush death, he can crush your sin. He can crush anything in your life. He is your savior. And if he is your savior, he he empowers you to then choose him as Lord. That's the second thing. And that's what all of these verses are saying to us this morning. He's the ruler. Again, he's been given the name that's above all other names. He's the king and he reigns over everything. So the question for you this morning, will Jesus reign over your life this morning? Will Jesus be the one who controls the direction of your life? Will Jesus be the one who sets the standards of what constitutes your life? Will he be responsible for guiding the character of your relationships? Will Jesus be the one who sets the parameters of what your sexuality is? Will Jesus be the king of your life? And Paul says this morning, the resurrection gives you freedom this morning. To make a choice to live with Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. The resurrection gives you freedom to make a choice to abandon how you live your life 
to start a new life with Jesus this morning. Some of you sitting here don't know him as Lord and Savior. You feel trapped. Maybe that's why you were invited, particularly this morning. Because you don't know who this Jesus is. You don't know him as Lord and Savior. And the person who invited you, who you shouldn't trust, yes, is calling you to trust this Jesus. The same Jesus that they depend on. Whenever they've messed up, they run back to this Jesus. And they're inviting you to run to him this morning. The resurrection gives you freedom to make a choice. Abandon how you live your life. Your life of Abandon that today. Abandon your life of living for yourself. Abandon your life of trying to hustle. Come to Jesus. Abandon your life of trying to pursue sexual freedoms with everything you have. But come to Jesus. Abandon the way that you've inherited from your great-grandfather, Adam. Abandon the way that you've inherited from the culture of Midrand and Joburg. And come to Jesus. Abandon the way of applying your own wisdom in situations without God. Come to Jesus this morning. Abandon your way of defining your life in your own terms. If Jesus is alive, he gives you a choice. Choose life this morning. Choose life. And as we close in verses 34, we didn't read that. But Paul says to you this morning in verses 34 of the same passage, wake up from your drunken stupor. Do not go on sinning. Do not go on choosing death. Don't leave this building today still choosing and holding on to death. But choose Jesus. Why? For those three simple words. He is alive. He is alive. And he makes you alive if you give your life and faith to him this morning. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Let's close our eyes and I'll, I'll lead us in a time of prayer. Again, you might be sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. I'm going to read a prayer um, just so that you know um, what you would be committing your life to if today you feel... You've heard Jesus, you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to you, and you want to give your life to him today. Listen to this prayer. I'll read it first, and then I'll read it again uh, and pray along with you. Lord Jesus, I admit that I, I didn't realize I was born spiritually dead, separated from God. With my own deeds, thoughts, and words, I kept choosing death. Yet what love have you demonstrated for me? That with your life, what is true life, you gave all of that up to die for me. This morning, I ask that you would make me alive. Make me believe that you did not remain dead. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you rose from the grave. As a guarantee that my sin, my death, has been crushed and defeated. This morning, make me a Christian. If that's a prayer you want to pray, I'm going to lead you in that now. And you can just pray the quietness of your own heart. Lord Jesus, I admit that I did not realize I was born spiritually dead, separated from God, with my own deeds thoughts, and words. I kept choosing death. Yet what love have you demonstrated for me that with your life, what is true life, 
You gave that up to die for me. So this morning, I ask that you would make me alive. Make me, a Christ, make me believe that you did not remain dead. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you rose from the grave as a guarantee that my sin and my death have been crushed and defeated. This morning, make me a Christian. Amen.